Peace is what I want to talk to you about this morning. You know, the United Nations exists for it and poets write about it. Artists sing about it. Everybody dreams of it. Painters picture it. But even so, in this world, we can't seem to find it, can we? At the time of the writing of this book um, in the New Testament age, when it was being written, there was something, there was a sort of peace being enforced in the world. It was called Pax Romana, and uh, it was basically a brutal peace. It was established at the end of the Roman double-edged sword and under the, under the heels of their hobnailed boots, and they enforced peace. And there was peace because people were scared to death of their marching armies around the world. You know, I want to make a statement right now that I'm going to reiterate a little bit later. And, you know, the world today is talking about peace, but they can only think of peace in terms of resources and circumstances. That's the only way they can think of peace. That's in terms of resources and circumstances. But we're going to find out that God's peace is different because God's peace is not based on resources and circumstances. It's based on relationships a relationship with him and God provides peace that way. Now we're going to pick up where we left off in John 14 verses one. We did one through 14 last week. We're going to pick up at verse 15 and I did not read a long passage last week. I am going to read a rather long passage this week. I'm going to read most of it. I wish you would stand. I'm just going to have you read one verse with me. So look at verse 15 through the end of the chapter, but I'm going to have you only read one verse and I'll tell you when we get to that verse. So let's look You follow along. I'm going to read aloud. Let me begin reading in verse number 15. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. That's a place for an amen, folks, by the way. That's wonderful. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear, which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now read verse 27 with me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And let me finish the section. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. 
If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Brother Philip Lindsay, I want you to come and I want you to pray for us this morning. Our brother Philip uh, serves as an elder and uh, loves the Lord, shares the gospel. And um, I want him to just pray a prayer of God's peace over us this morning. Father, we're gathered here for one reason and one reason only is to worship you and to understand more about you and, and to carry a mess of, message of truth and hope and joy and, and peace, Lord. You're speaking clearly to us today about peace. And so I pray that this message of peace, Lord, would fall upon us. We would embrace it. We would carry it with us as we go forward this week. And knowing that we're going to run into people all day, all week long that are not experiencing peace. But, Lord, I pray that peace would fall upon us, rest upon us first, Lord, and it would spill on all those who are around us, Jesus. So do a great and glorious work for your glorification uh, today as pastor uh, brings forth this message, Lord, that you've given to him, and may we experience peace and may it pour from us, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Philip. You can be seated. Now, when we mention this word peace and the concept of peace, what does it what does it bring to mind? We could pass the microphone around and say, okay, you picture peace, you know, picture peace in your mind. Describe that to me. We'd have all kinds of descriptions of it. Maybe it would be a gently flowing mountain stream or a Pacific coast sunset. I got a few pictures up there that kind of show it. There's some that are going just, you know, just picturing peace. Go ahead. There's another one that's coming there. How about that one? I like that one right there. Go ahead. What's another one? Pictures of peace, just a forest setting, ocean. Hold on right there. How many of you would like to be there right now? Just raise your hand. Boy, that's a nice place. I'd love to be walking back and forth. Bonnie and I lived in Peru, and we used to go to a place like that quite often called Santa Maria Beach. And, and it was just like that, just beautiful the waves coming in. Uh, it was just something. Let's go to the next picture. But that's peace. Oh, I want you to stop with me now for a minute. When we think of peace, we think of the absence of difficulty. How many of you live in a world with no difficulty, no hardship, no hard moments, no sickness? Now, how many of you live in that world? If you live in that world, please draw a circle around yourself because it's a community of one, all right? So nobody lives in that world. We live in this world. You say, well, what, what, what? well let's focus in just a little bit here. Look right in the lower center. There is a dove sitting on a nest in the middle between those two raging waterfalls that are coming down. You know what that is? Peace happens like that because we don't live in the absence of circumstances and difficulties, do we? But do we still need peace? That's beautiful, isn't it? You want to picture peace? You picture God's peace in your heart no matter how things are raging. That's the peace that we're talking about here 
in this passage of scripture. Thank you, folks. The whole passage is given to the disciples and it's given to us. And what is the circumstance of the passage? Please never make this mistake of divorcing any passage of scripture from its context. Never take a verse and just let build your whole belief system on a verse or two verses. No, no, don't divorce it. Don't bifurcate the Bible. Put it in context. What is the context? Let not your heart be and why were they troubled? Well, they were troubled because of what Jesus had said. Three and a half years almost, they'd been together and he had just, everywhere he went, he banished sickness, he eliminated problems, he turned the water into wine, he, and he even raised the dead. Wow, this is wonderful. We're gonna throw the Romans out of here. We're gonna have peace. We're gonna be the head and not the tail anymore. We're, we're gonna lend to people and not borrow. I mean, it's gonna be great. We're headed back to our glorious kingdom like David had. That's what they were thinking. But here's what was happening. Um, Jesus told them he was leaving. How can it be? Uh, they had been informed that one of them sitting at the table was a turncoat betrayer and going to turn in Jesus and make sure that he was arrested. They had heard the Lord tell the bravest one among them, Simon Peter, that no matter how brave you think you are, you're going to deny me three times before morning. And you've already put your foot in your mouth three or four times just sitting at the table here. And so this is the way it is. We found out last week that we do have hope for tomorrow. We have help for today. But this section really describes this help for today. It really expands on that. And so we're still in that section. Let's begin with our desired end in mind. What is our desired end? Well, we want peace. Uh, in verse 27, it says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Folks, he didn't say peace I'm promising to you. And one day you're going to have peace when you're all beyond this, you know, these terrible things that are going on. You're headed toward peace. So just hold on and hold out because peace is coming. That's not what he said, is it? He said, peace, I leave with you in spite of all of these things that are happening. Wow. I'm leaving you my peace. Now I could just declare and expound that verse today and we'd have a lot to praise God for, wouldn't we? God's gift to us is peace. It's the answer to the troubles and heartaches that we experience from day to day. Uh, and we could praise the Lord about that. It is the truth. It's the pure truth of the word of God, but it would help. It would really help if we knew how to get a handle on it. It would really help us. Yeah, we, we got the promise of peace, but sometimes we don't know how to appropriate it. We don't know how to put a handle on it. We don't know how to grasp it. Peace is there. Peace is available, but we're not experiencing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We know it's there. We know it's real. We know it's promised. We don't doubt the Lord, but grabbing it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's hard to grab it. That's what this passage is about. There's a word for it that the... Uh, Jewish people use even today. It's this word shalom, peace. It's a very precious word to Jewish people. It can be our word because that's what this word is here. It could be our word as well. It means a whole lot more than the absence of war or distress or problems. Here's what shalom means. And I'm quoting Warren Wiersbe here. It's shalom means wholeness, completeness, health, security, and even prosperity in the best sense. Peace to you. Now, on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, two times he showed up to his crowd and he said two times, first words out of his mouth, peace to you. Well, now they were really distressed. They were in the upper room. They didn't know what was next, didn't know what was going to happen. Our leader is dead. Are they coming for us? Are they going to, what, what are they going to do now? 
Now, the first words out of his mouth, he stepped into the room, came right through the wall, by the way, didn't even have to open the door. We're going to have a body likened to his glorious body one day. How about that? But anyway, uh, so uh, he, he showed up among them and the first words out of his mouth is peace to you. Peace. Interesting. Eight days later when Thomas was present, first time Thomas wasn't there and he said, well, I'm not going to believe it till I put my fingers in the scars in his hands and in his feet. But eight days later, Jesus showed up and you look right at Thomas and the first words out of his mouth were peace to you. Peace. Um, Peter and Paul wrote books in the New Testament epistles and every one of them uh, he wishes to the people grace and peace. The very last book, this author, John, last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, even though it's a book that scare you to death in many ways, the very first words that he says, almost first words are grace and peace. Peace. He's going to be saying, you know, God's going to be saying peace to the people suffering in the tribulation period peace. Shalom, brethren. I want to remind you that this peace is not rooted, if you don't get anything else, this peace of God is not rooted in the externals of life, our circumstances, but it is found in the eternals of God's presence, his promises, and his provisions. Let me just give you a little side note. Do you know what hell will be? It's hot, it's terrible, it's dark, it's never ending, it's all of those things. But you know what hell will be? Hell will be the absence of God's presence, the absence of God's protection, the absence of God's provision. Peace is when God is present, God's providing, God's protecting, and he gives us great and precious promises to live by. I said it a moment ago, you might have missed it that the world looks for peace in its resources and circumstances, but God provides peace through relationships. That's what this whole section is about. It's about the relationships that God has formed with his children. How many of you claim the name of Jesus this morning? You are a believer in the Lord Jesus. Would you just raise your hand up? All right, then I want to announce to you that your, your relationship with the Godhead this morning is this. You are the children of the Most High. You are the children of God. And everything that God has that's coming to his son, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 16, is also coming to you because you're an heir of God and you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so God is our father. God is my father this morning. He is my father. Say that with me. God's my father. Ready? God is my father. So when you go and you talk to him, you're not going into the, you know, into a bank president's office. You're not going into a principal's office at the school. You're not going into, you're not going in to see the president. You're not, no, 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 no. You, when you go in and you have this privilege of prayer and you come into his presence, then you're, you're going in to see your father. He's not just like earthly fathers. He's a good father. Boy, that's a hard concept for many people today because in life, a lot of people hadn't had real good fathers, but I'm just here to announce you that good fatherhood does exist. And the one who's the greatest father is our father, God, the father, he is your father and we're his children and he cares about you. I'm just want to speak peace into your heart this morning from the word of God. Let me keep talking. Peace is provided in loving relationships. Verse number 15, if you love me, I just love those words. If you love me, keep my commandments in loving relationships. It doesn't matter what relationship that you have, 
Where love is absent, strife is present. Doesn't matter what relationship that you have in life. I don't care whether it's a work relationship. I don't care whether it's a family relationship, distant family, close family, whether it's neighborhood relationships. You see, the Bible says we're supposed to love one another. We're even supposed to love our enemies. You know, even relationships with adversaries would be better if we practice biblical, the biblical principle of loving. That is doing what is best and right for other people. It would make the world a different place. It extends as far as our enemies. Peace is provided in loving relationships. And so I want to give you a few things here. Verse 15, the first part says, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I want you to notice something. Trusting, write this down. Trusting Jesus leads to love. Trusting Jesus leads to love. There's a movement from believe to love in the passage. So if we really believe Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what the Bible says he did, how can we have any other response in our heart and emotion but to love him? We love him because what? He first loved us. And what has Jesus done for us? Well, he was sent by the Father with the mission of redemption and he came to the earth and he experienced everything that we do and was cruelly treated, totally rejected by the masses, carried to a Roman cross, nailed there, hung between heaven and earth, not fit for heaven, not fit for earth because he was carrying our sins. Jesus did this for you and me. How can, how can, we, how can we respond in any other way but to love him? When people sacrifice for you, does it generate anything in your heart? Of course. The second thing I want to say is obedience is the evidence of our love. Obedience is the evidence of our love. Now, I hammered on this point last week in the first 14 verses that what is required to become part of the family of God. How do, we, how do we get to know this exclusive way to the Father, which is the way, the truth, and life? How do we do that? And the answer was believe, 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 believe. It said it over and over and over. But I want to share something with you this morning. The second part of this story is there's an evidence to believe. There is, there is a obvious evidence to believe. And this is what this passage is about. There's an evidence. Obedience is the evidence of our love. And this is how God views our love for him. God says, now, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if we truly trust Jesus, we will obey him. We will keep his commandments. Now, Abraham is called the father of the faith. And he is used many times in the New Testament as an example of what it is to be faithful. And he was one who believed God. We love chapter 15 and verse number six. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But that's not all there was to the belief of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But when tested his faith, when his faith was tested and God said, take Isaac, your son Isaac, your only son, the son of promise, that son you've been waiting for, that miraculous miraculously born son out of due season, that son that nobody thought you could really have, that son through whom I'm going to bless the entire world, that son who's going to be like you, the father of many nations. I want you to take that son, go up that mountain and offer him to me. Abraham didn't dither. Abraham didn't argue. He had learned by now that he could trust God. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to trust God. So he got the bucket of the fire and he got the wood and he found, he found some help and he got his son. He says, we're going up. And when he told his disciple, here's what he believed. He told those three helpers that he had. He says, look, my son and I are going over there to worship. And when we get done, we are coming back. Even though he told me I'm going to sacrifice him up there. 
Because Abraham believed and he acted. Abraham believed and he obeyed. Obedience is the evidence that you believe. Obedience does not Obedience does not open your doorway to heaven. It does not guarantee your salvation. You don't obey yourself into God's good favor. But when we have been received as sons, sons love him and they want to. What? Those who love him, keep his word, obey, verse number 23. Those who do not love him, look at verse number 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Verse number 15, if you love me, Verse number 24, he who does not love me, interesting. Those who do not love him disregard his word, that is, they disobey. So loving God by keeping his commandments, and I want to share this with you this morning. I hear this all the time. Pastor, you know, this being a Christian is really a hard thing. It is just so difficult. It's just so many rules and regulations. And everything. I just don't know. I've even had people tell me they're not ready to get saved yet because they just don't want to be all fed up with all these tied up and in shackles of all the rules and regulations. It's just so hard. Okay, I hear you. Loving God and keeping his commands, write this word down. He is not oppressive or constraining. Let's read the Bible this morning. Same author, 1 John chapter 5, same guy. The one that wrote John also wrote this. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Just write it down and I'll read it to you. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who is, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. You love the brethren. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, I just disagree with that. I, I, it's very burdensome. Just doing what God wants me to do all the time. It's just so hard. Well, all you're doing, you're not revealing anything about the truth. You're just revealing something about yourself. Because if I look at what God wants me to do is burdensome, grievous, painful, horrible. I don't want to do it. Boy, you're just revealing something about your own heart and your attitude toward the one who died for you. This is really... Straightforward, isn't it? We hear it all the time. It's so hard to be a Christian. I hear you. I know what you mean. I know that, I know that the, God does have requirements of us. But you know what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15? It says, look, the way of the sinner is hard. The way of the person who rebels constantly in their heart and rebels against God and just does what they want to do to make themselves happy, they don't end up happy, nor do they end up, they end up where they want to be because the way of the sinner is hard. These commandments that we are to keep make for peace, love one another, live like a servant, enjoy peace in spite of your circumstances. So here's another thought. Peace is provided that way. Peace is provided in these relationships and then peace is provided in a person. Peace is provided in a person and it's the person of the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to look at verse 16, if you would please. Uh, chapter 14 and verse number 16, he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And then look at verse number 25. These things I have written, to, I have spoken to you while being present with you, but when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And then look at 1613. If you want to, you can jump over there, one page over. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So peace in our heart, it has to do with the relationships that we have with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It has to do with the relationships that we have with other Christians, but it also has to do with the person that is provided by God. I said last week we have hope for tomorrow and help for today. And let me tell you why we have help for today. In large part, we have help for today because we have the helper. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. Now we're introduced to this person. The Greek word is parakletos or paraclete. And um, here's what he says. Jesus is going away. That is the issue that's caused all the angst in the heart of the disciples. That is why Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. He's answering this situation. He's helping them. He's telling them what he's doing. He is this one, this person that he is sending is the heavenly helper sent to help us. In your Bible that you're holding in your hands this morning, and there are many versions of the Bible that are present, and maybe you're looking at it on, a, on a, some electronic device, but it's going to be one of these words. It's going, to be, it's going to appear as helper, counselor, advocate, encourager, or comforter. All those words are accurate. The word parakletos means this. Here's what it means. He's sending us the heavenly helper. I love the word helper. He's sending us the heavenly helper, and here's what he is saying. We hear this word all the time, and it means this. It means to come alongside and to help or assist. To come alongside and to help or assist. We hear this kind of thing all the time in Christian circles. Well, we just need to let go and let God. Or let's just stop trying and start trusting as if our responsibility ends where, where God's help shows up. That we have no responsibility for our own. Well, First Peter, you know, Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's an imperative. I, that's my responsibility. I, I got to do this. And I'm supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I do this. Let go and let God. Not quite. I understand what you mean. Stop trying and start trusting. I hear you. But that's really not what the Bible teaches. I want to make this statement. The Holy Spirit, the heavenly helper, does not work instead of us and does not work in spite of us. He works in us and through us and he comforts us all along the way. The heavenly helper. He works in us and through us. He is with us. He never leaves us. And he helps us along the way. But a person who's obstinate and doesn't want to do anything God says, don't count on a whole lot of help from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Interesting. Now he is the seed of God that moves in and never moves out. And we're going to talk about that for a minute, but just remember he is a comforter and he certainly comforts people who can collaborate with him. We think of a comforter as somebody who gives us a hug or pats us on the head and says, oh, it doesn't matter. Everything's going to be all right. You're living terribly, but that's fine. Just want to comfort you. No, when I was a boy, as a little fella, I loved to play baseball. And I know it's, you know, not the favorite sport in the world today, but it was mine. And I, man, I played on every team that you could find. But when I was real small and I was learning to play, uh, I used to strike out every time I stepped up to the plate. 
I mean, that bat, I don't, even the smallest bat in the bat bag, bag was so big for me. I was a little skinny kid. I couldn't even hardly pick it up. And I'd go up and I'd drag, you've seen the guy drag the bat to the, that was me. And I'd get it up and park it on my shoulder like that. And the little old pitcher would throw it and it smacked the catcher's glove and I'd swing. You know, I mean, just, I'd miss it every single time. Well, my mother and my father, they were there. They supported me. They were always there. <laughs> and uh, mama would just give me a big hug and say, it's all right. Daddy did not do that. <laughs> Dad said, Philip, he said, I'm going to be home at 5.15 on Monday afternoon from work. And he says, we're not going to eat. We're going straight to West Haven School. And we go to West Haven School and he'd give me instructions in batting practice. I can't tell you how many times we did this. And I can hear him now. He's throwing the ball and he was not nice about it. Anyway, uh, he'd say, elbow up, eye on the ball, all the way to the bat, swing level, make contact, forget swinging for the fences and just be a man. I mean, he'd tell me that. I was a little bitty guy. You know what? Mama made me feel accepted. Daddy made me better. The Holy Spirit will make you feel accepted, but he will also make you better. But you got to work with him. The Holy Spirit, he's the heavenly helper. He is the spirit of truth. He cannot lie. There is no falsehood in him. He only speaks the truth. He uses the word of God. Never separate the work of the Holy Spirit from the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Never think the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your life without the word of God. <laughs> you need the word of God and the spirit of God and together working on you with a humble and submissive spirit. God can do amazing things. Be careful about saying God spoke to me and God said this to me and I was, God did this. Well, okay, wonderful. If it's in agreement with the word of God and in accordance with his word and his spirit, wonderful. But if it's outside the word of God or against the word of God, the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with it. It is so important that we understand this. On Wednesdays in the fall, we're going to be doing a, a series here in the auditorium called Dealing with the Devil's Lies. You see, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and there's no falsehood in him. But the spirit of this world is the spirit of lies and he's fostering off all kinds of lies, lies and sadly many believers are believing him. So what does this Holy Spirit do? Well, he teaches, verse number 25. Over in 1613, he guides. I love this, he guides. <laughs> he guides, he does not shove or drag us. He guides us. He reminds us, verse number 25, brother Matt pointed out the other night as we were studying Galatians when uh, he was pointing out that Paul was sought to remind them and to teach them the same. You know, it is so very, very important. It's not that we've never heard what is right and what we're supposed to do, but we do need to be reminded of it because the devil makes sure that we're forgetful hearers, doesn't he? Reminded them. So he teaches, he guides, he reminds. Something else, who is this spirit of truth? He's the spirit of Jesus. What? 14.6, we found out that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, he's the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He is that spirit that Jesus sends. He is in the same spirit as Jesus. He is the spirit of Jesus. He is something else. He is the gift of the Father, this Holy Spirit. Verse number 15 um, uh, talks 
about him. He's going to, he said, if you uh, love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, I will pray the father and he will, big word, give you the Holy Spirit. He's the gift of the father. On Pentecost, it's amazing. On Pentecost, Peter preached and he really had this down by now, but then he was really had this all figured out. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets saved without receiving the Holy Spirit today. Did you know that? It's not a matter of you praying for the Holy Spirit to come take a hold of you. It's a matter of you praying that you yield to the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. God has given me many gifts in my life. Almost all the people, all of the gifts in my life have to do with the people of my life. He's given me a wife that has supported and loved me and followed me everywhere. Went to Peru. I mean, she's even this week serving in amazing ways. Uh, the people of my life, associate pastors and elders and people that I'm standing on their shoulders like Pastor David and Past, Pastor Tom Pace, uh, who is now with the Lord. They've been gifts to me in my life, but I've never had a greater and more ultimate gift than the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's in me. He's with me. He's beside me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's teaching me. He's enabling me. And what does he do? Well, he abides. He dwells. He lives in us. Verse number 15 and the following, he will never leave or abandon us. You know, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 51, 11, David was pleading with God because of the issue with Bathsheba and the sin that was in his life. He was pleading with God, please don't take your spirit from me. He was, oh, please. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. I didn't think the Holy Spirit left. Ah, point of truth about the Bible, the Holy Spirit did not live in and never leave people in the Old Testament. He came and went. He came, he even came on Saul. He came on Samson. He came on Jephthah. He came on lots of people, but he came and left, but he doesn't come and leave in our case. He is with us. He dwells. He lives with us. He is never leaving. Something else I want you to see this morning, the third thing is peace is provided by the presence of Jesus. You said, I thought it was the person of the Holy Spirit. It is. And it's the, it's the presence of Jesus. This is so wonderful. Jesus said again and again, I'm going away. But he also said, I'm coming back. Look at verse number 18. He says, I will not leave you orphans. What did he say he was going to do? I will come to you. He says that he will come to us. They're not going to be alone, abandoned, helpless, and hopeless. He is treating them. And he said, remember now, when he started the conversation back in chapter 13 and verse 33, here's what he said to them, my little children. In other words, he's teaching them like his little brothers, like little children. And he says to them, look, I'm going away. But here he says, I, my little children, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You heard me say I'm going away, but don't be disturbed. Don't be upset because I'm sending you this wonderful heavenly helper and I'm coming to you. Wow. I will come to you. He comes to us as the spirit of truth. Today, people like to mock the idea of Jesus coming to live in our hearts. I just want to tell you something. He does. Verse 21, I will love him. In verse 21, the obedient believer and will manifest myself to him. The world doesn't see him and cannot know him. Why? Because they're not alive spiritually and the spirit of God is not in them and they don't have the spiritual eyes to do it. Nicodemus, you need to be born again because unless a man is born again, he cannot see, perceive, or understand the kingdom of God. That's why he needs to be born again. But every born again person that has the spirit of the Holy Spirit of God living in them can see the things of God. 
the word of God, the truth of God. The last time this world saw Jesus, he was being removed from a cross and placed in a tomb. The next time this unbelieving world see Jesus, they're going to see him come in great power and glory to rapture the redeemed and destroy the world and the wicked with it. Jesus is manifested to us every day of our lives because he's in us and with us and he explains his word to us. He leads us. He guides us. He helps us. He comforts us and he never leaves us. We see it. The world can't see it. All they saw was the tomb and they're going to see his glorious return. But until they come to Jesus, they're not going to see anything. You see, you have to believe before you can see. Jesus is provided, is provided, a peace is provided by the love of the Father, verse number 21 and 23. Look at this, the love of the Father. Look at verse number 21. It says, now, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Ooh, that's interesting. Then in verse number 23, it says in 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if any man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Oh, that's interesting. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. How about this? The father loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Do you know you're loved by the father? Your father loves you. (laughs) Your older brother loves you. The Holy Spirit of God loves you and he lives in you and he's with you. and He's never going to leave you. Peace. We're talking about how to have peace. Peace is provided by the love of the Father. If we love Jesus, we're loved by the Father. The verse I just read you, if we love Jesus and obey him, then the Father makes our heart his home. This is astounding. Watch this now. Verse 17 said that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Verse 23 says that because we love and obey the Son, that both the Son and the Father make a home in us. You say, well, I just thought the Holy Spirit dwelled in us. Listen, unless I'm mistaken, unless I just can't read, don't understand black ink on white paper here, unless I'm just making a mistake here, it says that the whole Godhead is pleased to dwell with us. We talk about prayer. Well, we're supposed to pray this way. Pray, you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit because of the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus gives us permission to go to the Father. You know what? I'm a child of the Father. I'm in the family. I talk to whoever I want to in the family. Amen. Talk to Jesus. We are loved by the Father. Folks, we're going to go live with God. I love Revelation 21, 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle. This is in, this is in the great beyond. This is in the future in the Lord's presence. The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Folks, we're going to live with God. God is going to live with us. But wait a minute, this passage that we're reading says that God, the Trinity, has already made his home with us. The Holy Spirit is that guide, that teacher, that helper. But Jesus is the spirit of truth and he is with us. And then the Father, because we love the Son, has decided to live with us, dwell with us, be available to us. So we've got the Trinity. (laughs) Uh, Wonderful. I have a question. I wonder... Do we make them feel welcome? Do we talk to them? Let's go to Thanksgiving. Everybody's there. Thanksgiving at your house. And you're, you know, you've opened your home. You've invited everybody over and everybody comes. And I mean, it's turkey and dressing and long way off, but it still sounds good. Turkey and dressing and I mean everything. Giblet gravy. How many of you know what giblet gravy is? 
I mean gravy and I mean homemade rolls and all that stuff and pumpkin pie. Should I stop now? Anyway, just all of that stuff. It's, it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's there. Everybody comes in. But we open the door and the people come in. We don't say a word to them. Everybody goes in and sits on the couches and they cross their legs and everybody's just looking at each other. There's no, how are you? How you been? What's going on? What's happening in your life? There's no jokes. There's no football game on. What kind of, what kind of day is it without football? Anyway, but, but <laughs> there's nothing happening and, and everybody just sitting there just looking at each other. You go to the meal, sit down at the meal and everybody's passing the food and they're enjoying it. It's a bounty. It's beautiful. It's delicious. Nobody says thanks. Nobody says who cooked it. Oh, that's the best gravy I've ever had. Nobody says anything. They're just sitting there. It's all over with and everything's, all things proper, everything's cleaned up, dishes all put away and without a word, everybody's just dismissed. Everybody goes home. We had Thanksgiving together. What was missing? Thanksgiving was missing. Fellowship was missing. Conversation was missing. Loving one another was missing. Let me ask you a question. Does the Trinity feel at home in your heart? Are you talking to them, reading about them, <laughs> interacting with them, welcoming, welcoming them to your day, telling them good night at night? Does the spirit of God, the person of Jesus and the father who loves you, do they feel welcome in you? Whoa. Wow. Maybe that's why we don't have a whole lot of peace because they're just, it's not exuding out of our relationship. Peace. Peace is provided by the promise of his return. I will come again. I'm going to have to jump. Let's go to number six. Peace is by the promise of his return. I'm coming again. What a wonderful thing. Look at number six. Peace is provided by his power over Satan. <laughs> uh, who is it that lies to us all the time in this world? Who is it that's seeking to destroy us in this world? Who is it that would like to destroy your family in this world? Who is it that would like to destroy the world peace? Would like to, he would just like to destroy. Who is the destroyer? Who is the Apollyon? Who is it? It's the devil. It's Satan. He's a slanderer. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He's a killer. He's a murderer. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And he hates you. Let's read this. Verse number 30, I will no longer talk with you much for the ruler of this world is coming. And look at these words. And he has nothing in me. What do you mean, Pastor Phil? Well, he has nothing in Jesus. He has no hold over Jesus. Well, what do you mean? Well, he tried at the temptation. He had no success at the temptation of getting Jesus to sin. He has no hold over him with sin. Satan had no success with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He didn't stop in Gethsemane and say, no, Father, I, I don't want to do this. I'm coming back to heaven. No, no, no. He went right through Gethsemane. Satan had no power to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And that's what he was trying to do throughout all of history. Don't let Jesus get to the cross. And then Satan had no ability to keep Jesus in the tomb, praise God. And Satan has no authority in your life because we live. He lives, we live. We have the Holy Spirit. Satan has no authority. You're not under his dominion. You don't have to obey. When temptation comes, you can say, no, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. 
power. You've got the power of the resurrection in your life and it ought to give you abundant confidence and peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Romans chapter eight is just glorious. We won't even go there, but it says this, because sin shall have no dominion, can't dominate you anymore. You see, the ruler of this world had no part, no hold, no power over Jesus. And I got news for you. He has no part, no role, no power over you. And so when the world comes crashing down, just look to Jesus. Amen. Look to the Spirit. Look to the Father. Look to the Word of God and believe in Him. Trust Him. Trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. You know, verses one through 14, trust. Number 15 through 31, obey. There's your whole chapter. The chapter on peace, love, and confidence. Trust and obey. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you? Have you trusted him? Listen to these verses. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance forever. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And today's verse, peace, I leave with you. Here's my legacy, Jesus says, peace, I leave with you my peace. I give to you. I don't give you what the world gives you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Do you know peace? Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior? If you want to talk about it, I'm going to be right here. If you want to pray about it, we've got people in the prayer room. Come, let's talk about Jesus.